Number one, Americans have a lot of guns and they're bringing them to protests and that's dangerous. Number two, you have a group of people who've been organizing for a number of years now, I mean, before the Battle of Bunkerville, but you've got these networks. Ammon's networking with the Three Percenters and the Proud Boys and these militia networks. So you've got these groups that are all networked and organized. Then you have the fact that they don't believe the government. They don't believe the science. They feel like their liberties are taken away. Some of them even think this whole thing is a hoax and they play into these larger conspiracies that, you know, there's going to be a moment in history where we have a civil war. So you have, you do have people who truly believe, you know, is the COVID our moment? Is this the time that we act? And then you add to that layer, God's telling them to do this. That's just really, really explosive. An almost ripped from the headlines episode of The Cultural Hall, we talk with Betsy Quammen about those who would take the power into their own hands to defend the Constitution, to be able to say, listen, the scriptures have foretold of this time and we need to take action. What does this look like? What does it not look like? Is it an appropriate thing for folks like the Bundys to be doing what they're doing on a national scale? We talk about a lot of that stuff, and and I'll be honest with you, it's a thing that I'm kind of uncomfortable with. I see the actions of some people, and I just go, oh my, is this, are we okay? Is this a thing that we're going to keep doing? Oh, we're okay with this? Are we going to be all right? Are we going to be able to come out on the other side of it? I had so much fun being able to visit with Betsy. I know you guys will love this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. It is a a subject that I just don't think I can get enough of. Uh, We're going to be visiting with Betsy Gaines Quammen, who has authored the book American Zion. Subtitle, Cliven Bundy, God and Public Lands in the West. Welcome in, Betsy. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, I have to tell you, uh, if there are three mistakes in my life that I have made, one of them is at a previous time, we have interviewed Ammon Bundy here in the Cultural Hall. We got to speak to him for a couple of hours. And during that conversation, he invited me to the Bundy Ranch for me to be able to spend some time down there. And I vacillated back and forth as to whether or not I would go and experience what that was like. I ultimately chose not to, and I kick myself when I think about professional opportunities that I didn't take. I bet they'd still be happy to have you down there. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like the uh, the Bundys of early 2000s are not the same Bundys that we think of uh, here in 2020. We should really set the table, though, for people that are like, Clive and Bundy, who is that? Why don't, why don't you let people know who, who we're even talking about? Well, Clive and Bundy is the patriarch of a family that lives in Bunkerville, Nevada. And he's a rancher that... Uh, had a lease to ranch uh, his cattle on public lands. And in the early 90s, he uh, was approached by the then Clinton administration to buy out his allotment. And he was the only rancher in Wayne County, which is the county Bunkerville's in, that that didn't take the deal. It was a, a legitimate buyout. Uh, The compensation was fair, according to those I interviewed who actually took it, but he did not want to give up his allotment. It was coming out of 
uh, a ruling with the Endangered Species Act that that in this particular area, he he grazes his cows in the Mojave Desert, and the desert tortoise was being impacted by grazing. And so, as a way to protect the the tortoise, these ranchers were compensated, and um, and he said no, and he stopped paying his grazing fees, and. From there on out, he's been in a big feud with the federal government. Sure, because when you don't pay your fees to the federal government, they go, hey, uh, we'd really like you to pay those fees. Similar to taxes, there can be fees on top of fees that are assessed. Uh, And then we sort of lead to within the, and I forget the year on this, where there was essentially that standoff between the Bundys and others and the federal government. Right. That was in 2014 that the Battle of Bunkerville occurred. And what happened was that after years in the courts, um, a judge ruled that the Bureau of Land Management needed to round up Bundy's cows. And so they sent a team out to round up the cows and Cliven Bundy sounded the alarms and uh, reached out to a broad network that that he'd put together of militia members. They all gathered uh, around the the Bundy Ranch and they set up a protest, uh, an armed protest. There were sharpshooters uh, on both sides. The the militia had uh, sharpshooters as well as um, law enforcement. And they engaged in a, 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 a couple of hours uh, of just a standstill guns aimed at each other. And uh, eventually the, the BLM backed down and, and the Bundys saw it as a victory. They had won and it empowered them to continue with their battles. You know, you talk about that and, and to say that it's a couple of hours, like in studying this, because again, I get sort of infatuated with these these odd little subcultures uh, uh, within the church. As I understand it, the freeway was closed because people had gone across the freeway and several, several um, federal marshals had started to camp out and had very um, logistically like there was a battle started to, to set up around uh, Bundy's land. It is a fascinating. It is a fascinating thing to think that in 2014 that this is something that's going on. It is, uh, and and it's incredibly dangerous. And you know, at the time when I visited them, I went and visited them in 2015. It seemed to me like a small fringe movement. But in the meantime, I've realized this movement is quite broad. It's not just the Bundys. It's really extended across, uh, you know, the states. Uh, and it's not just a uh, Latter-day Saints small uh, little corner of culture. Um, there, there's this broad proliferation of these kind of constitutional um, advocates, agitators, and we're seeing it right now with the COVID-19 restrictions. So let me ask you this. You uh, mentioned to me before we started chatting, you're not a, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So what is your interest or attachment to this, this movement, this story? That's a great question, and it's one that has a very circuitous answer. Perfect. I, <laughs> I, I worked with religious organizations 
uh, on conservation issues for a number of years. Oh. And um, and so, I, but I mainly did it out of this country, although I did organize with some evangelical groups and uh, I organized with Buddhists and, and um, Jewish communities. We worked on a variety of different things from fisheries and river protection to pollinator species and, and uh, protecting bees. And it was something that I was able to gain a great appreciation for how religions embraced conservation and, and how they could be wonderful advocates as a, a work of faith, as an extension of their faith. And I began to think about, I was, I was very, very involved with uh, Mongolia, but I was working on my dissertation and I thought, am I gonna be able to do a dissertation and have my primary sources all be in Mongolian? And the answer was no. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did what anybody with a tiny bit of sense did. I was getting in an environmental um, history and, uh, and my PhD. And I thought, I am going to work on Latter-day Saints because as an historian, you'd be foolish not to use this opportunity to access an amazing amount of, of information. It, it was a dream to, to work on uh, Mormon history. Mm -hmm. And so that is, is what I started doing. I wanted to know, because I was a conservationist, I was curious, why were land use wars smoldering more in a place that was considered historically Mormon homeland. Yeah. And, um, and I wanted to know the roots of that. And I began to research the, the settlement of Dixie and it, I was absolutely fascinated. And at that time, when I was in the middle of it, the battle of Bunkerville occurred. And I thought, I wonder if I could use this as an opportunity to trace Mormon settlement the beginning of conserva the, the preservationists and, and the conservation movement and, and work it up through uh, the story of the Bundy family. And, and so my dissertation did that, but that's what became American Zion. So let's talk about that early then, the stuff that comes long before the Bundys were even a mention on the headlines. Where, where, where does that come? How, how, do we, how do we as a church or, or we as leaders of the church and, and sending uh, for the settlement of Dixie, how does this play into to what you're talking about? So I, I have a couple answers of that because I think that there are, as you've mentioned, there are different there are different networks within the Mormon faith and, um, and different understandings of, of scripture and of, uh, you know, uh, uh, for example, when looking at um, the way that, that Zion is conceived, there are some in the church. And again, I am not um, LDS, so I don't want to put my thoughts and, other people's mouths. Sure. Uh, but but during my research, I, I came across some completely committed, amazing conservationists and, uh, you know, who were really proud of the, the statements that the, the church has made in the last couple of years about stewardship um, and environment, the importance of the environment. Uh -huh. And then there are those that look at Zion as a built landscape that that uh, when Joseph Smith was was explaining Zion, it was a, it was a place that was developed and and made beautiful through the work of human hands. So so there's a there's a different way of viewing things. I, I've been approached by um, some climate activists within the church to to talk on behalf of um, uh, the faith and 
environmental ethics, uh, but I've also seen actions taken using this idea that unless a landscape is worked, it's not sacred. And mm. so I've, I've seen those differences in, in the way that, that the culture views landscape. So, so then given that information, that Zion can be one thing on one hand and one thing on another, how does that lend to these individuals that we're talking about uh, there in Bunkerville and, and everything that they hold on to? Is, is that more of the, you know, hands on and it is developed type of Zion or is that more of the, the hands off and just leave us out, leave, leave us alone kind of hands off idea of Zion? Well, there's a number of layers to the way the Bundys incorporate theology into their campaign. And I, I, it's my thought, number one, that there's this proprietary idea of Zion, that, that Joseph Smith promised Zion and uh, Brigham Young helped establish Zion in the Great Basin, Colorado Plateau, uh, Mojave area. And so when you talk to... Cliven, and, and I had the opportunity to, to interview him uh, for a few hours. Uh, his sense of history goes back to when the first Mormon settler had his horse drink out of a Paiute River. And so history begins at settlement rather mm -hmm. than, and, and, and in using and establishing that landscape, it became proprietary, it became Zion then. Um, what I do in the book is really try to talk about how Zion was placed on top of um, landscapes that that were sacred to the people living the, in them at that point too. You know, the the native people yeah. had the idea of a sacred landscape as well. So, so I would say that that there's a proprietary piece, but I also would say that part of the way that they use their faith and justify their actions is this. Um, role that the constitution played in the early church. And so they, they really see the constitution as sacred. I, when, when I was sitting down with Cliven, he essentially said, you know, the, the constitution is an inspired document. Therefore we believe that Jesus wrote it. And so in feeling that it's a divine document and that they perhaps have a better understanding of the constitution than other Americans. Therefore, they're justifying their actions based on their special understanding of the constitution. Um, that's another layer of their particular take on their Mormon worldview. It's such a fascinating thing because you, you I mean, you see this in extremism uh, on that one hand within the Bundys, but you know, as any member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints will tell you that they feel like uh, on some level the um, the North American continent or certainly the founding of America allowed the opportunity for the restoration of the church to occur, that it would only be in the United States of America or what was then, you know, the early the early time of the United States that a, a religion could be founded, could be restored and could bring it about. Even within our Book of Mormon, there are the prophecies within First Nephi that talk about, uh, you know, seeing the ships and the land being settled. And if we're righteous, that we're going to be able to inherit the land and, and, and all of those things. So although when you say, you know, that they have a, a, a greater understanding or a special connection to the Constitution or to the document, that sort of sounds extreme in its 
in its face value, as you say it. But if we break that down and realize sort of what the indoctrination within the church is, we very quickly go, oh, we, you know, we, those who adhere to the the mainstream church, have an element of that within our history, within the very fiber of what the church teaches. I, I think that's absolutely true, you know, and, and that's what's so unique about um, the Latter-day Saint, uh, you know, the, the, the Mormon faith is that it is American and it's deeply tied to what that means. It fascinates me and scares me and uh, delights me, depending on how it, <laughs> these all things kind of interact with each other, when um, when people will take um, scripture or will take their interpretation of something and that gives them permission to act out in a particular way. I'm fascinated by that. I'm delighted by that when I feel like it's truly a Christian principle and I can adhere to it and it gives me that sort of almost like power from above to go and do those things. But it's also very dangerous. And I think the dangerous part is what we see running throughout um, the Bundys and, and throughout this this idea of Zion. I, I agree. I, I think that, you know, as you said, it can be wonderful that you can you can do acts of love and compassion based on faith. But when you have somebody who in, in this particular case, talking about Ammon, uh, who who I, is Cliven's son, we should clarify. Ammon is Cl- Cliven's son who uh, before the takeover of the Oregon Wildlife Refuge, Malheur, um, he is on a YouTube video explaining that God has told him to intervene on behalf of the Hammond family. And we, we can talk about that too, a, a ranching family in Oregon, who, by the way, didn't want um, Ammon taking over the refuge. Uh, but he also said that I know that if I don't act in essence, God will be disappointed. Mm-hmm. So, so not only is there this idea that God is encouraging these armed protests, there's also the idea that if they don't act, that God will be disappointed. And, and I, I do think that this has been echoed. Um, and we can talk about um, some of these early prophecies, one of which I think is apocryphal, um, but also um, Ezra Taft Benson came across with language that said, it's not enough to just be faithful. You might really have to be called to act. I mean, it was, it was very much more of a push. Um, and, and Benson in particular is, is incredibly influential in the Bundy thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you see it throughout the, the, uh, the theology and the history of the churches is that if if, um, if you know something is right, that you have to, uh, to act upon it. You know, we hear the phrase, uh, I knew it and I knew that God knew it. And, and that sort of uh, holds us to this higher plane of if we, in fact, have this testimony of this thing, whether it be the doctrine of the church or the practices or, or whatever those things, even if we don't necessarily want to do the thing, we, will, we would still do it because otherwise we... we um, you know, we suffer the punishment that, that a God would deliver for not doing it. Examples of that throughout the scriptures, examples of that throughout early church history, that time and time again, we, we, we sort of tell them, tell these stories as fables of, so you need to have the courage to do, to do what's right, even when it's, you know, 
even when it's the hardest thing for you. And, and, and it can breed dangerous situations. Well, and it, there's also, um, a, a repetitive sort of idea when, when you're looking at, uh, the relationship that Joseph Smith had with the, with his brethren, that, um, if things were going wrong, they had not been faithful enough. So, so there are a lot of times where he says, essentially, we're being punished right now because you weren't doing your work as a member of the church, as, as, a, as someone who's faithful. Um, so, so there's this kind of retribution mm -hmm. that if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you will somehow experience consequences. Yeah. I mean, we, we think of the saints having to leave uh, Kirtland, right? There's an element of they weren't righteous, so they had to be had to be driven uh, from Nauvoo. The same thing that they had apparently done things incorrectly. And so it wasn't until they were able to settle in in Utah and be able to establish Zion in the mountains that that was the, a, a time that they could do it and that we finally did it the right way without uh, that punishment from God. It is a fascinating look at the way these things can can drive. And and yet I think the mainstream of the church would look at someone like Clive and Bundy or look at someone like Ann and B Ammon Bundy and be like, I don't know where he gets his ideas from. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I sent you, uh, I think I sent you the, the piece that I just did most recently on the White Horse Prophecy, which yeah. the church has a... a, a I mean, and rightfully so. The churches have repeatedly said this is apocryphal, um, and uh, and it keeps coming up. And it and it's a, I, I can tell that it's a thorn in the side to some church leaders. And it you know, I, it it's because it's been you know, it's not part of you know the the, the it, it isn't canonized. It isn't accepted it isn't, as exactly. as as prophecy by. Uh, the prophet Joseph Smith, or by anyone else. We should take a, a quick pause, though, oh, yeah, yeah. and explain what the White Horse prophecy is in case there is someone listening that's like, I've heard of it. I don't know really what it is. Sure. It's actually, it's it's a 12-page, um, I've just been reading the, the original for this particular article. Um, it was written by a man who um, had it in his, you know, sort of, in his journal, and he said that he had heard Joseph Smith say it when he was 18, and they don't really know when the uh, the account was written. Um, several years later, maybe decades later, and it's rewritten and edited, and uh, it it's been it's been disproven by the church. Uh, th there have been a number of historians that that have worked on the the document, but. It says a variety of different things. Most important to the Bundys is that the Constitution will be hanging by a thread and it will be up to the Mormon people, in this case, the white horse, uh, to protect the Constitution. And so there's this feeling uh, in the Bundy circle that this is the point in history that they have to protect the Constitution as told by this prophecy. And and uh, for further context with it, it it's uh, relating to the uh, the four horses of the of the revelations. So right, right. so the the church being that white ho uh, white horse. We certainly heard a ton about this uh, in 2012 when uh, Mitt Romney was running for president, and the right. idea that 
he somehow could be that that white horse that rides into the White House and is able to save the country from the the dire situation um, that it was in. Let's take a break real quick. Uh, when we come back, I want to further this. Plus, I want to find out what it was like going to the Bundy Ranch. You took an opportunity that I should have taken. I want to know what that was like. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. <laughs> Hey, this is Dan the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. It's our ultra-mega back-to-school blowout sale. We have hundreds of thousands of dollars of ultra-high-quality laptops and desktops on sale for up to 50% off the original prices. We've got demos, scratch and dents, trade-ins, and funny-colored computers. It's crazy! Remember, you get a lifetime service guarantee on any PC Laptops brand computer. That means if you mess up your Windows or you get a virus or spyware, it's covered forever. Got an old yucky computer? No problem. We'll take it in on trade and we'll transfer all your pictures, music, and all your stuff to your PC Laptops computer for free. When you get your computer from PC Laptops, we'll make sure you're taken care of for a lifetime. To make it impossible to resist, we're doing 12-month special financing on any PC Laptops desktop or laptop computer. Have I lost my mind? Get into any one of our locations right now or check us out at PCLaptops.com. PC Laptops, where computers start at $7.99. PC Laptops, we love you. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, if you love this episode, you love other episodes that you've been hearing recently in the Cultural Hall, do me a favor, go to Patreon.com slash The Cultural Hall and pledge a couple bucks behind your love, won't you? It's Patreon.com slash The Cultural Hall. It allows you to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group that all other Patreon folks are a part of, and it allows you to get these episodes early. Plus, you get to see Betsy's beautiful face because only the Patreon people are able to see the video that we record as we chat with these episodes. So do it. Go to Patreon.com slash The Cultural Hall. Betsy, what was the Bundy Ranch like? I imagine the food was phenomenal. You know, I didn't eat anything there. Uh, I, I somebody was cooking hamburgers. I it, it was very, it, it did it did have that sort of. Um, I, I think that some people were eating well there. Yeah, uh, they're famous for their melons, and I've heard that from a number of people. So I I'm kind of sad that I didn't get to eat a melon or two. Um, but I'll tell you, they were very nice to me. And I really appreciate the time that they spent with me because they allowed me to completely, I went in at the time as a a student, I I was getting my PhD. So I didn't want to talk to them about um, the Battle of Bunkerville. I did not want to talk to them about the, the armed actions. I wanted to talk to them about their faith. And so we spent, I mean, almost three hours talking about you know, what their faith meant to them, why it was part of their fight. Uh, We talked about Nephi Johnson, who was um, the great 
grandfather, um, spiritual grandfather of, of Clive and Bundy. Uh, Johnny Jensen, who is Clive and Bundy's grandfather, was adopted by Nephi Johnson. Mm-hmm. And Nephi Johnson is a very important figure in the history of, of Dixie. He was he was part of the uh, Mountain Meadows massacre issue, or, or excuse me, um, not issue, Mountain Meadows massacre experience. Yeah, that, I, the, would say, I would that, say debacle, but other people may call it. The, I mean, yeah, just the, tragedy, uh, tragedy chapter in history. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I, I should say that he was, he, and, and Juanita Brooks um, made this particular event famous, um, the wonderful historian from Bunkerville as well, that, that Nephi Johnson died. He was on his deathbed hallucinating about the mountain meadows, screaming blood, blood, blood as he died. So it was something that haunted him his whole life. Uh, but we had a wonderful conversation. I um, left with a Book of Mormon signed by Cliven, and Ryan, who is another one of his sons, followed me to the car and um, made me promise that I'd read it. And at that point, I'd, I'd read most of it, but I, I still have um, Cliven's Book of Mormon upstairs that he gave to me. And he really helped me understand where they were coming from. And it was only on the drive back that I thought, oh my gosh, I just uh, sat down with people who I have such fundamental differences with. um, And they are people who, you know, are scary, uh, but they were very kind to me and, and, and gave me a incredible opportunity to really understand how their faith fits within their actions. One of the things that has uh, particularly been impressed upon me, I won't say impressed me because that's, I think that gives a different connotation, but has been impressed upon me is this the nay book within the the Bundy and and people may go, I have no idea what that is, Richie. Betsy, what is he talking about? Tell people what the Nay book is if they're if they have no familiarity with it. Well, the Nay book is something that that actually while I was there, Ryan was showing me uh, his copy. I, I asked if I could have it, and um, he told me no. But I, I ended up getting pieces of it um, in my in my research. It it his copy was in a binder, and it was xeroxed uh, quotes that justify their actions. Uh, and it, it, you know, it, it's a variety of different quotes uh, from different presidents and prophets. And, uh, you know, again, with an emphasis on Benson that I, that I mentioned earlier. Um, and it was compiled by Keith Ney, who was involved in uh, fighting the government. He, he also did not want to take a buyout. And he, along with Cliven, was fighting to to continue to graze on these lands. And he passed away. But before he passed away, he put together uh, these quotes and these justifications on why they should fight the, the government and on why it is a sacred duty. And just so you know, the Nay Ranch now is, um, it, it's, it's still, um, owned by one of the family members and it's a yoga retreat or a boy scout retreat. They've turned it into a tourist attraction. So I was recently at the Nay Ranch um, in the Gold Butte. It's, it's uh, in holding in the Gold Butte National Monument. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Is uh, is Keith Nay, was he a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Yes, he, he was. He was. He and his wife were. And um, and the family, I believe, continues to to be as well. And, and as they have sort of pivoted, certainly from grazing within that land, do they do the nays of today, which is a fun thing to say, the nays of today, uh, do the nays of today still, still associate themselves with the Bundys or have they distanced themselves? That I don't know. I, I I know that the wife has stayed friendly. You know, she remarried Keith's wife, and I I, I forgive me for forgetting her name because she's been very supportive of the Bundy fight. And uh, so I you know I wouldn't be surprised if if there was support there. Uh, Keith Nay was a dear friend of Clive and Bundy, and they were part of this fight together. And um, certainly the Nay book has has a huge resident resonance in this whole um, sort of broad campaign. And a number of people uh, uh, refer to it. it, it at the Malheur Refuge. Uh, Ryan was there with his nay book. And I, I think they were handing them out from what I understand. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a fascinating, I don't know why I get so attached to it, but I, but I like you would love one just to see you know, and have the opportunity to be able to study within it. I again, I don't know that it's anything that I couldn't compile myself if I knew the sources. I don't think it's anything hidden or that they're like, you know, we have the the ancient letter that was translated from this or whatever. I don't think it's anything like that. I I, I think that it's all available stuff, but it is definitely to, for lack of a better term, indoctrinate someone into the way of thinking that they have that it is our God-given responsibility to um, to to fight on, on these matters. Yeah, I I think it. I think you're absolutely right, and I, I I think it's also appealed to people outside of the church as well. There there's something that's been quite attractive uh, about the faith that incorporates these principles, fighting for the Constitution, um, and you know the prophecies that that back it up. Because even if Joseph Smith never uttered the white horse prophecy. He did, the constitution was a very important document uh, to him and he did talk about the need to protect it. So yes, this, this nay book has been a big piece of the entire campaign that, that the Bundys have launched uh, on public land. And now we're seeing them take their fight to these these shelter in place orders. Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> put, okay. that, put that bookmark there. I, I think it's also worth noting that, um, I mean, again, I think that when we look at this, we kind of go, wow, that is that's such an extreme thing. But when we look throughout the history, it's permeated with things like this. When we see the, 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 the prophet Joseph Smith couldn't get the respect that he wanted from the federal government, he said, OK, fine, I'll run myself for a president and I'll be able to do these things because clearly you aren't able to do what it is that God would want to have happen. Yes, I, I think that that's true. Uh, the, the, the cult, the early church culture, well, you know, and I should say there were terrible things that were done to early church adherents. I mean, there's a reason why Joseph Smith and, and Brigham Young, uh, were angry and, um, I mean, the, the Missouri 
story, the Hans Mill story. There, there were there were awful things done, and um, I think Joseph Smith looked to the Constitution and his run for presidency uh, as ways to protect his people. And mm -hmm. there was a reason why he wanted to protect his people. Uh, so, so that, that actually, there was some justification now putting together the Nauvoo Legion, which was a giant army and this, it was a second largest to the U S army. And so the, the Mormon people were taking care of them. They, they were going to take care of themselves. And, and I think you see that spill over as they go into Utah. And one of the, you know, as we said, ugh, the heartbreaks of the Mountain Meadows massacre, that was due to anger and a, a, a real thirst for retribution. Um, and, you know, that that early church theology, and, and it's been referred to as a, a militant theology, mm -hmm. uh, came to Utah and settled in, in pockets. And I think that you see, and, and I'd really like to hear your opinion on this, because, you know, in the research that I've done, I've seen that these pockets still maintain some of these early church resentments or, you know, sort of anger. And again, I know it's not a direct line from sure. then now. Um, but but it seems like that's kind of lingered longer in rural pockets. Uh, whereas I think that there's different a different kind of worldview in say Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean I would I would agree completely with you. You see uh especially within sort of these these rural, I don't want to say congregations because I don't think it's that organized, but there are those who very much have um I don't want to say, how would, how would I phrase this? Not like a don't tread on me sort of mentality, but like uh, uh, the good old day. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it necessarily. Only that, that they really do feel like they are acting how God would have them to act. And that maybe the mainstream of the church isn't able to do that because, you know, the church has changed or because... You know, this is what the church would really would really want to do if they could. But in order to be a mainstream organization, they've had to change some things. But we know what they really want. We really want to act that way. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It, it is funny to read some of it because it, things get kind of murky mm -hmm. in, in, in looking at how people are responding to, to the Bundys. You know, Ammon will say that he's got big support in some of the higher leadership, uh -huh. you know, yeah. uh, I mean, he'll say that at a public event and, you know, but he won't say who, right. Uh, but then he'll say, Oh, but then there's all these socialists that have, that have perpetrated the kind of mid levels of leadership. Um, and, and so it, when you hear him talk about it, it, it always seems, I mean, you, you wonder, is that really true or is that because there's so much conspiracy that that proliferates throughout this whole sort of corner of culture, yeah. um, and and it's hard to get a, a a read on it if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that sort of leads into uh, another question uh, or um, point in history that I would that I would bring out that relates the Bundys to the churches. I, I believe it was a. Uh, it was either a general conference or maybe just a statement from the church wherein they essentially, that is they being the 
the um, headquarters of the church, the brethren within the church, essentially said, we distance ourselves from these gentlemen who are doing this. That is not how we do things. We are not they. Uh, and, and made a very bold claim to say, this isn't what we're doing. Oh, oh, for sure. And I, I want that to be abundantly clear. When, when the Bundys went to Malheur Wildlife Refuge, uh, the church came out and said, we do not approve and you cannot use scripture to justify this. I mean, it was very clear that they, they, were, not, um, they were not on board. And, um, and I think that that's a, an, a really good point. I, I, I don't, yeah. But that, so that sort of element to me, and then within um, like church governance kind of brings about other questions. I mean, so you don't know this, Betsy, because we just met today. Um, but I, for a portion of my life, found myself to be excommunicated from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I've since been rebaptized and readmitted into the church. I never acted out and held a wildlife refuge, you know, uh, against the federal government or anything like that. It is fascinating to me to note that some of these people, Ammon uh, and etc., haven't found church retribution in the governance of them with within the church. The church has just sort of said, hey, you know what, we, we aren't doing this. But as far as, as I know, they haven't said, you know, you're out. We don't need this as part of the, the, the church. Yeah. And I make that point in my book. I, I don't know why they haven't been excommunicated. I, I find that interesting and I don't understand it. I mean, especially hearing that you were, um, you know, I, I, I think of it's, um, Michael Quinn, uh, who's a historian that, that I'm familiar with that, that I, that I really depended on in writing American Zion. Um, and, and I met him briefly at a conference, uh, the Mormon history conference a couple of years ago in St. Louis. And I know he was excommunicated and it was quite painful. Um, I, I, also, I don't recommend it. It's not the funnest thing an individual yeah. could do. Uh, and, you know, I, I write about Mary Bullock in my book, who was a woman in, in you know, she, she was raised LDS and she was excommunicated and how hard she worked to get back in the good graces of the church. So I understand the pain that that is associated with that. And it is a question I ask, why hasn't the church taken stronger actions? I, I don't know. What do you speculate? I, I really have no, I, unless there is some support among church leadership at certain levels. Um, I don't know that. Uh, again, I, I have nobody that I would, you know, put forth, but it seems odd. Yeah, it, it does. It does certainly seem, if nothing else, incongruous when they're like, we don't believe this, but yet... You know, those even on the a local congregation or a stake level or within the church that there hasn't been that. And, and and for all we know, because we're just two people who don't know the lives, the, the religious lives of these people, they could have been excommunicated and we'd have no idea. The church oh. doesn't any longer, though it did in the early days, uh, doesn't any longer make excommunications public. There have been public excommunications in the past, but, you know, D. Michael Quinn, uh, myself declaring that I was excommunicated, it's often the the person who was excommunicated that makes that knowledge uh, public, not the church uh, toward the individual. So 
it does beg the question, what's going on if they haven't? Well, and, you know, I, I think, too, uh, they do have support, kind of, um, from, say, Mike Lee, uh, who also believes that the Constitution indicates that the federal government cannot own land. And this is one of their big points is, you know, the Constitution says that the government can't own land, except every time that's been litigated, it it's been found not to be true. So um, the Bundys might be helpful in some of these state rights campaigns and arguments uh, among certain individuals. And so they may have some support there. Yep. It, worth noting for people who don't know who Mike Lee is, he's the senior senator from the state of Utah. Uh, it's Senator Mike Lee and Senator Mitt Romney. Um both of which we've mentioned within this discussion. I want to take another break. Uh, and when we come back, I want to I want to uh, ask you the question, so what? So what if they did all this? So what if it's religiously integrated? And, uh, and, and let's get to that coming back in the third block of the cultural hall. On the phone right now with a dear, sweet college friend of mine, Shannon, and it's Kamora Torres. Join the cultural hall on a church history tour, won't you please? Shannon. How you doing, Richie? I'm doing so good. Tell everyone, let's do a general overview of what the tour is going to look like. <laughs> if people are maybe hearing about this church history tour and they're thinking, okay, well, I don't really know what that's like. Uh, I don't know what to expect or yeah, sure. I've been on a church history tour before, but what is this one all about? Let's, let's give people an idea of what we're looking at. Well, this is a mother of all mother church history tours. It's a 10 day tour for this tour. We're going July 5th, 2021. And we're going till July 14th. 2021 obviously so we'll fly out of salt lake city and we'll fly into kansas city missouri so let me stop you right there what if i listen okay. to this and i'm in california or i'm in new york city or florida we will help you out we'll help you get some flights and if we can get you the group discount that'll be better and if not we'll compensate you for the cost that we are paying from salt lake to kansas city missouri and then from uh rochester new york back to new york i mean back to uh salt lake so okay okay so yeah. it is possible yep. they don't have to fly into salt lake just to fly out again they don't and that's why we added an extra day so everybody can get there get settled in their hotel rooms get a good night's sleep and then we will hit the ground running on july 6th okay so where are we where do we hit the ground we start in kansas city missouri and we'll get on an amazing tour bus and we'll start right there at Independence, Missouri, the new Jerusalem Temple site. Um, we'll talk about that a bit, and then we'll have a, a visit in uh, uh, the Community of Christ Temple, the Visitor Center there, Liberty Jail, and then we'll just continue forward as we go down the road, uh, chronologically backwards from Missouri to New York. So when we talk about going to the different sites, um, are there tour guides at each of the sites that will give us the information? Do you have some of that information? Yeah, majority of the sites, majority of the, the church sites will have missionaries there that'll give us tours. And then we've been doing this for a, a number of years to where we'll have a little bit more information and, and maybe some stories that aren't told at the sites. And then there are some other sites that don't have missionaries, such as Adam on Diamond and Far West. And at those sites, we will be your tour guides and, and give you the information and, and go from there. Okay, walk me, walk me through it. We're going backward chronological. And so just, just the highlights, there's a lot of stops in between, but uh, we hit Independence, Missouri. Uh, we hit Liberty Jail. Uh, the next day we hit 
uh, Richmond Cemetery, where uh, it's a memorial for the three witnesses, where two out of the three are, are buried there. We'll go to Far West, Adam Bonday Almond, and then we'll spend lunch and go to a bakery in Amish country there in Jamesport, Missouri. Uh, then we're on our way to Nauvoo, Illinois, and uh, we'll eat at the famous Nauvoo house that night. We'll go to the Nauvoo pageant. Uh, the next day, we will go to uh, the Nauvoo temple. Those that want to go to a session or those that want to do some window shopping or whatever they like there in Nauvoo. And then we'll go to the historical sites in, in old Nauvoo. We'll hit the Nauvoo British pageant that night and then back to our hotels to get some rest and, and on from there. So day five, we go to the Nauvoo Cemetery, the Pioneer Cemetery. We'll hit Carthage Jail and then on our way to Richmond, Indiana, which there's no church history sites that I know of there. But uh, it's a stopping point for us uh, because of a long travel day. And then be in Kirtland, Ohio. You have a little bit of experience there, my friend. Yes. If you're missing other things. Yeah. And so we'll go to the John Johnson Farm, the Morley Farm, the Kirtland Temple, Historical Kirtland, New K. New K. Whitney Store, uh, the Ashery. Um, just just have a wonderful time that there. That is a lot Ash- to pack into a day in Kirtland. It is. It is. It is. We'll be running and gunning there. The seventh day will be Sunday, and so we'll actually uh, spend the Sabbath at church. We'll take. We'll have sacrament meeting in Kirtland, and then we will be off to Pennsylvania to the church history site and to the Susquehanna River site, and then off to Palmyra, New York. So I know that we end up in New York. We're able to go to the Sacred Grove and be able to experience where the church was actually first founded there on the Whitmer Farm. As part of those other sites, as we kind of wrap this out, um, I know that people will have other questions. So what happens if I buy into this tour and we still are under a global pandemic? We will give you your money back. It's, It's a full refund. Now, uh, what happens if, uh, like, the pageants, they decide not to do them next year, or the church sites are still not open? Yeah, if the church sites aren't open, there's no reason for us to go. So we would definitely give a full refund for that and and get saddled up for 2022. But hopefully hopefully we can go this year. And uh, the last question is, is, where do I give you my money? You know, that's the easy one. You just come to my house and put it in my pocket and we call it good. I don't don't know that I get a receipt for that. Maybe we should make this a little bit more official, Shannon. Okay, maybe a little more official. Well, you can go to camoratours.org. That's C-U-M-O-R-A-H-T-O-U-R-S.org and click on the Culture Hall tour and you'll see a lovely picture of Richie there and uh, we'll get you scheduled. So make sure you do it. It's KimuraTours.org. Won't you join the Cultural Hall in a church history tour? And Shannon, uh, I think maybe what we'll do is uh, we'll have you come back and maybe we'll go day by day with the different parts of the church history tour to give people a little bit more in-depth as to what they can get if they come on this church history tour. How does that sound? That sounds great. I'd love to be back anytime. All right. Well, in the meantime, guys, go to KimuraTours.org. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, we're going to address the subject of so what. But before we do, if uh, if you have loved this episode, we'd ask that you would give us a review wherever you get this uh, this show available in podcast form. Uh, you can drop just stars if you want to do it that way. Or you can say, I love Betsy Quammen so much. And you can tell everybody why you love Betsy so much. Or if you've loved ev- other episodes, we would love to hear it. Uh, we would love to see your reviews. You can always reach out to us, too, if you have other guest suggestions. The email for that is contact at theculturalhall.com. And uh, you can find us on any and all social medias at the Cultural Hall. So, Betsy, so what? So what? So what did they do this? So what that it's founded for them on some sort of religiosity? So what? 
Well, you know, that's a, that is, I, I think that's a question worth asking. I, I think I'm more concerned with the fact that they are ne- they've created an environment that it's now dangerous for managers, uh, rage, uh, the BLM, the, the Fish and Wildlife Service, the Forest Service to do their jobs. They've, they've made areas on our public lands lawless, and they really have. I mean, there's, there's, there's places where people are afraid to monitor, uh, and, and that's really bad. That's an unraveling of law. And, and you, you have a group of people who have guns and, uh, you know, they're, they're connected in, in, in one case, there's a man named um, Stanton Glebe who is in Paiute County. And he's also in, um, he's, he's also putting forth his, his allotment was, um, was evaluated and he was asked to reduce the amount of AUMs he had on his allotment, which is animal unit monthly. It's, it's cow-calf pairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and he refused to do it. And a relative of his is the sheriff. And that sheriff said, I don't care what the government says. I'm going to protect, you know, Stanton. And, and in doing so, they're overriding law. And it's getting dangerous and they are doing it more and more and they're feeling more empowered because they got away with it. They, in Oregon and Nevada, they got out of jail. That and the, the prosecutors really bungled both cases. Uh, but it matters because they've created a group of armed and empowered people who are flouting laws. And that is dangerous. And it's on our public land. So if you're interested in protecting public lands, Right now, you're facing a huge challenge uh, because because the Bundys are are getting away with it. They continue to graze their cattle. They they've increased the size of their herds. Um, just recently, they've been um, they've been digging a, uh, a, a it's called troughing, and they're they're digging uh, um, holes to put pipe in so that they can create more troughs for their for their um, cows. And this is in pristine, beautiful desert in the Mojave. And the Mojave's, you know, I, I mean, whether you are for public lands grazing or not, the Mojave is a really tough place for a cow all year long. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, you know, they continue to do this. So, so the first response to my, or to your question, so what, is, well, our public lands are under, I mean, already under so many threats. And if you love uh, Southern lands in Utah and Nevada, these people are, are not, the, 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 this culture, the, the folks that they've engaged and empowered, um, they've made it a lot harder to protect public lands. Um, why does it matter if it's in religiously inspired? I think that was a layer that I just found important because I needed to investigate it. I, I'm not sure that, you know, what their motivations are, um, is necessarily um, a huge deal. Although I would say that if somebody believes that God is telling them what to do, how much more motivation do they have? Uh, If God is telling you to break the law, what push does that give you to, to, you know, be lawless? Well, and at the very extreme, I mean, look no further than the example of uh, the prophet Joseph Smith, who sealed his life with his blood, saying, you know what, I believe in this way and, and laid down his life. And, it, and it's someone within the, the culture of the church, within the, 
the the religiousness of the church that we revere the fact that he was willing to take that step and seal his blood to be a martyr for the cause people can take that and say you know what up to death to death i'll protect the constitution to to death i'll protect my lands to death i'll protect my rights and i think that to me is what makes it just that extra level of dangerous that extra level of scary I would 100% agree with you. I, I I think that that when you have that extra emphasis, uh, it it emboldens you in a way that's very dangerous. You've queued it up a couple of times, and I've said, "Hang on, Betsy, hang <laughs> on." Now's the time to get to it. I mean, the 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 Bundys, this this movement, this you can't tell me what to do, rearing its head as 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 recent as today's headlines. The you can't make me wear a mask, don't tell me what to do uh, thing within the pandemic. Let's talk a little bit about that before we close this thing out. Well, I knew that this was going to be something that uh, would get the the Bundy family uh, agitating again. I, I called uh, Ammon mid-March to ask him what he was going to do in the time of COVID, you know, because we were seeing restrictions and uh, and at that time, he said that he was actually content sheltering at home with his family, but that he was very worried about it. And um, he felt like this was going to be an opportunity for the government to consolidate power. Since then, he has been holding, he held his Easter service. Um, Which where he was, per, yeah, tell people what, that oh, don't know what yeah, that actually is. He was he he was he's pushing against Governor Little's stay at home orders. So he wanted to gather a thousand people together um, during Easter. He only had about 40 people show up to that. But he's since been organizing with um, Utah organizers, Idaho organizers that there's a Idaho uh, woman who uh, was recently arrested that that Ammon was very involved in the protest over her arrest. She's an anti-vaxxer that her name's Sarah Brady. And uh, and she was visiting a park with her children and a the police were called. They tried to get her to leave for about 45 minutes. It's actually painful to watch her argue with the, the police that were trying to be incredibly respectful. They finally arrest her. Ammon shows up at the arresting officer's house the, that night, and you know we're you know we the people wanting to issue him papers, um, just using COVID to really agitate. And now we're seeing these broad networks of of militia that. That are agitating uh, in various capitals across the states. And so, you know, and this is a conversation for an entirely different show. One of the things that I talk about in American Zion is this anti science. Uh, at one point, um, Cliven, who at the time was um, head of the Nevada Stock Growers Association, was, was railing against um, science that indicated that grazing impacted the habitat of, of various species. And he calls it, you know, don't throw this willow flycatcher science in my face, you know. And, um, and, uh, and so I've, I've seen it. I, they've been climate deniers. And now I'm seeing this anti-science uh, move into the COVID uh, sort of argument that they don't believe the number of people that are dying, that they don't believe it's as dangerous as people are telling them. It's taking the things that they 
that they embody these this anti-government idea and this um, anti-science idea, and now it's COVID, and um, and so they're once again agitating against this, and and it goes back to this idea that my liberties are more important, the Constitution is more important, and um, the irony is after I talked to. Ammon, I thought, oh, how is the government going to use COVID to cons consolidate power? And, and I've seen our administration using COVID and chaos to do things that are, um, you know, there, there, there was a, there was a, a recent issue where they were, the department of justice wanted to be able to arrest people without habeas corpus. Mm -hmm. they, they were trying to, they, there are various things that they're doing while we're all paying attention to COVID. But in this case, I really think that Ammon's agitating, uh, it, it's misplaced. I mean, as his other agitating was, and I, I think he's going to get people sick and, um, in any case, but it does play on all the fears and and worldview that that he embodies. When I when I really get into it and really uh, you know follow more of the day to day or week by week um, sort of movements and agitations, it scares me. If I'm being completely honest, it it seems to me. And maybe this is, you know, what do they say? Monday morning quarterback and with other, you know, of these extreme groups that we've seen that, that those groups have come to a head, though not exactly the same. I think of like the Branch Davidians uh, with David Koresh and, and this way of thinking and, and, and that we see, oh, it just started sort of couched in this thing that was acceptable-ish by a lot of people. And then it just grew increasingly extreme. We thought that maybe it would have peaked in Bunkerville. It didn't. We thought maybe it would have peaked in Malheur, and it didn't. We think that maybe it'll peak now within this, you know, these things within COVID, and, and, and maybe it will. But to know what the peak will look like, be like, and who may be hurt and or killed as part of that, it's, it, it scares my core. Well, and, you know, in this particular case, and I've been trying to wrap my head around this, too. Number one, Americans have a lot of guns and they're bringing them to protests. And that's dangerous. Number two, you have a group of people who've been organizing for a number of years now. I mean, before the Battle of Bunkerville, but you've got these networks. Ammon's networking with the three percenters and the Proud Boys and these militia networks. So you've got these groups that are all networked and organized. Then you have the fact that they don't believe the government. They don't believe the science. They, they feel like their liberties are taken away. Some of them even think this whole thing is a hoax and they play into these larger conspiracies that, you know, there's going to be a moment in history where we have a civil war. So you have, you do have people who truly believe, you know, is the COVID our moment? Is this the time that we act? And then you add to that layer, God's telling them to do this. Mm -hmm. That's just really, really explosive. Mm -hmm. Cause it'll take one thing. It takes <laughs> one spark before yeah. that, that hotbed you know, to, to use a fire analogy, right? It takes that one spark and like Tinder. I know it does. It makes my, I, I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I have an anxiety about it too. What are you working on for the future? You've written this book, you've written American Zion, which people can pick up where? 
Oh, uh, they can get it at their local independent bookstores, which we all love. Um, they can get it at Tory House Press, which is in uh, Salt Lake City, ToryHousePress.com or ToryHouse.com. Um, Google it. Yeah. Uh, you can you can get it on Amazon. I mean, it's it's available there, widely. There will also be a link available in association with this episode of theculturalhall.com. It'll say buy here, and then you can click there and you can buy oh, it that way, and people can get it sent to their house. So so what's the future then? What's what's uh... What's stuck in your head that's waiting to get on paper? Uh, first of all, I was supposed to be on book tour right now, which mm. obviously. How's that know. going? <laughs> <laughs> you know, my husband and I have been doing these live streams together because he's an author and he wrote a book um, about eight years ago called Spillover about pandemics. And so and oh, he's wow. working on a COVID book right now. And, I, and then I've been tracking how the militia has been um, sort of responding to this. So we've been doing these live streams that are really fun um, together, like a virtual book tour. Um, I was supposed to go um, this summer. I was teaching a class uh, on, I was going to be in Mongolia teaching a class and I was really excited um, on Mongolian history and that's not going to happen. But I am starting to play around with a new book proposal on how this pandemic is going to um, impact the way we understand science um, and and how you know in the West we have a, a an interesting uh, relationship with science. You know you have the Cliven Bundys saying that they don't believe in environmental science, um, but then you have people who are farming, uh, say in. Wyoming, who, you know, believe the science of Monsanto, and there's a, like, a very, how do we, how do we digest science, mm -hmm. and to see how this, this, um, this disease changes the way we understand it, because whether we believe in science or not, we're about ready to experience the um, principles of, of what pandemic means, and, um, you know, I, I've, I've just been, you, you can't argue with what this disease is going to do, and and so um, I I want to I want to understand how that impacts the way people understand science. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. I'll look forward to to seeing and hearing, and and perhaps maybe I'll jump in one of those live streams just to see what that's like. Oh, it's uh, fun. There is a question that we ask everyone, no matter uh, their faith, who steps here into the cultural hall. I'll ask it of you. The question is: Is what is your favorite part of your faith? What is my favorite part of my faith? Well, I have to say I've studied religions broadly and I, I have I have grown absolutely um, so, I, I really, really admire every religion I've studied, including um, the um, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and and um, have, have really enjoyed uh, studying scripture and the history of, of the church. Um, but I, I guess that in, in the way I look at things is, um, I just really think compassion is one of the most important things that we can be as human beings and to try to understand each other, try to be kind to each other. Um, and, and that's what I aspire to do. Yeah. I love that. I love that. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the cultural hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the 